Welcome to In Service, a Darley Company podcast, where we cover emerging trends around first responders and warfighters, spotlight vendors and employees, and tell cool stories. In this episode of the In Service podcast, you hear from Blair Dell, who leads the public safety and training division of BMK Ventures, developing and delivering courses to first responders, the public, and military units across the country. Blair will outline where the rubber meets the road on the law enforcement casualty care course, the LACC, and the motorcycle first responder awareness M1RA program. How I try to lead when people bring to me a problem set, whether it be, uh, you know, a local Boy Scout troop or a special operations team in the military is let's look at the problem first. Perhaps it could be something as simple as we're not prepared for this. And then we break that down, get real data, make sure that we're not chasing uh, dragon butterflies that don't exist. And then once we refine the problem, we'll build training to it. And then when we build that training, it's solutions-based, not protocol-driven. Taking anything away from protocols, uh, but they come from the fire service, they come from EMS, uh, where medical directors by default have to establish protocols so we can legally standardize medical care totally realize we have to do that. But the majority of people I train uh, outside of the fire service aren't bound by protocol, nor are they paid every month to keep up their CMEs and actually maintain a protocol and memorize it. So what we choose to do is a solutions-based approach, meaning we provide a series of basic skills, basic understanding of tools, and then we recreate through very high fidelity simulations that same problem you're so worried about whether it be as horrific as an active shooter or as simple as a bicycle accident, whatever it is, we'll recreate the chaos of those with high fidelity simulations from people we work with like uh, Skedco, with uh, Sam Medical, North American Rescue, simulations company. We work through our Simex line that we we actually custom build a lot of our own um, simulations and we don't inject. That's something so common in trainings. Well, pause, tell me how that made you feel. No, we let the madness go until the end of the scenario, usually in real time. And then we have a good debrief about it and make sure all the learning points are gathered. And part of that debrief is, all right, so yes, you had this happen, this happened, and this happened. What tools did you feel you were missing or would have made better? And from that, we build what your kit or your tools should look like. So it's somewhat sequential, but very uh, scalable and adaptable. Uh, and then after everything gets instituted, people get their kits and everything else. I like to follow up with them and say, hey, are you happy? Do you feel more prepared? Are you empowered to manage that problem you brought back to me a couple months ago? When a firefighter EMT, having been one myself, I know the challenges that come from having to memorize the long list of protocols. So if this happens, almost a flowchart approach. Uh, this is what I'm allowed to do. If I'm presented with this, I do this. Unfortunately, that approach restricts the problem-solving process. Uh, by design, it, it takes some of the guesswork out of it to where you have only a series of options available to you. And these are professional rescuers. I totally get it. When we start dealing in the realm of people with special needs, there's no way you can have a flowchart to understand what someone special needs is going to present when you come to do a medical call. 
Or the one that I work quite a bit with fire is uh, rescue task force. There's no way that you can identify exactly what's going to happen. So where the division happens with protocol driven, which is relatively easy to teach, you can do anybody who's done an ACLS uh, testing for uh, their certifications can tell you exactly how that protocol is going to run when you get tested. Uh, what we prefer to do is link to actual case numbers. What do we do for a uh, special needs person on this medication with a knife? Well, go through the databases and I'll find that case. It's happened somewhere. If someone's bringing it up, it's happened somewhere. And then we will recreate it right down to the, the nose of how it played out in real time. And then we will provide the either officer, firefighter, or rescue task force team of both the opportunity to confront it in a safe environment. May not feel that way to them at the time if I do my job right, but then we will break it down and say, okay, how does this happen? How does this, how did that work for you? Here's what the officer or firefighter did in the real world when they were confronted with no preparation. Do we need to do it again? Do we need to reset it? Do we need to bring in enough and fresh set of eyes? And then from that, that's where it gives us our questions about all right, do we have the tools to handle this? Do we need to adjust the protocol? Or in the solutions-based approach, just go in and solve problems. A great example of this is uh, our ballistic platform we use for rescue task forces. We had several people come to us and say, hey, we got this great bag, or we got this great widget that's going to help us save more kids in, um, in school shootings. I couldn't go to one conference without one person bringing that up to me. And I finally got to the point, I was like, stop the madness. And we had this huge um, event down in Murrieta, California, that we basically provided simulation support for a full system test. And we had like 70 ambulances, life flight, squad cars, everything you could think of. They did a great job based on this big grant that they got. We kept extensive data on it. One of the things I was looking at on the side was, what is the right tool for this, for the firefighters that are now empowered to work with law enforcement to go into the warm zone? And one of the things that we quickly took away from that, and then I brought back to Seattle where I worked closely with some of their firefighters, Mickey Mann and a few of these others were helping me crunch the data, was, was that the right tool? And the answer was resoundingly no. <laughs> they needed to have their hands free. They needed to have the ability to just pull quickly from their back without pack straps. They needed to be able to use the body armor we were putting on them in a way similar to a law enforcement officer or a soldier does in that operational environment. But up until that point, primarily because of budget constraints, the solution was use similar bags that you're used to, and let's just slap armor on these guys like a turtle. When I got out of the service in 2016, after spending most of my life in one fight or another, I realized as part of my transition, I needed to still be part of the fight. So I took a look around, and that was one of the first years that more law enforcement officers have been killed in the line of duty in the United States than troops overseas. Now, I'm not a detective, but I took that as a clue. That's where maybe I should be putting my efforts in to maintain and be part of the fight. So started volunteering with the Washington State Patrol SWAT team. Uh, started trying to understand that environment more with family and friends that are in law enforcement and then working with several agencies like Seattle PD. Um, and what we came to find out is most trainings for law enforcement that were 
four medical response in one form or another. We're either coming from military medics or from fire EMS. And both of them are meaning well, but they're both very different ways of looking at solving the medical problem in an operational environment. The key component that was missing was the cops. And what we did is we brought in uh, Dr. Mark Ricewig, who's an amazing physician. He's my medical director with the SWAT team. Uh, and then we brought in some experts, uh, Tyler Verhar and others at uh, Seattle PD, and then brought in my special operations background. We made this little trifecta, but made it through the lens by cops for cops, keeping tactics driving medicine at all times. So we didn't recreate T-Tri-C or any of the military stuff so much as we repackaged it in a way that was more for the individual problem solver than as a cop and uh, made it very much to that solutions-based approach. And I tell you what, it is, the results of it have been staggering. One, uh, personally, it's helped me uh, invest back into a community I believe in and work with, but also to see the amazing real-world saves, the support and capability it's provided to the communities these officers serve, the teammates that they've saved, and ultimately, the improvements we found, even to equipment and other things where people were realizing, hey, I don't need to carry that. We don't use it. Or um, have you thought about making this? And all of that comes from that training because it's so realistic. People's hair feels like it's on fire. We're using stress exposure techniques. And next thing you know, there's, they're so immersed that when we pull them back out for debrief, they're like, it takes them a moment. And you see their eyes twitter a bit. And then they're like, okay, yeah, that wasn't real. And one of the most common feedback we get from guys who use it in the field and gals that have uh, saved lives when we debrief them, we're like, hey, what could we have done better? And they're like, honestly, the real thing was easier than what you did with us in training. I was totally prepared. When we talk about worst day ever, we're drawn to horrible images we see on the news every day, whether it be an active shooter or a horrible car wreck, what have you. But it doesn't necessarily have to be on that end of the spectrum. It could be everybody's worst day ever is going to vary by their life experiences. More importantly, how do we not rely on rehab after an event, after we survive, but pre or prepare our bodies and our minds and our souls, if you will, for that that uh, crucible of reality that comes on that worst day ever. Now, we're not anticipating that your average person is going to want to, you know, put the countless hours and everything in there, but what's four hours of your time? What's a day of your time in a fun environment where we can all come together and be a little honest with each other, where we are in our real preparations, where our mindset is, and have a better understanding of our tools. Hey, here's a crazy idea. Do your training first so you make sure the tools you get are the tools that work best for you because there's a lot of stuff on the market. And then more importantly, identify what those rehab tools are for you. There's so much more than Western medicine out there. And so many different things, both from the psychological, psychiatric rehab world that we've sadly had to invest and learn a lot in after the war on terror. Um, It's something I speak on around the country, the concept of operational psychology, um, resiliency, these words are no longer taboo, or they shouldn't be. And I believe they need to move way beyond where we really put a lot of work in them in the military and sports medicine and bring them to first responders and to the general public and have that buy-in, that tribal belief that you deserve to not only survive, but thrive through something and have 
to wear the scars of that emotionally and physically of that worst day ever as stronger skin tissue and grow from them, not have a disorder from them. Everybody focuses on the what, uh, but as one of my favorite books says, you got to start with the why. And if our why is that we all not only survive, but thrive through our worst day ever, then we need to have a working understanding of the tools that we're going to use. It's not enough to have a widget. You have to have the working knowledge. People would prefer to hit Amazon, hit order, and it shows up in their doorstep and boy, I'm prepared. Uh, real preparation, really being prepared for your worst day ever, requires a little bit of effort. Um, and I think that's where we circle back to the why again. If we remember, it's to not only take care of yourself, but for your family, your loved ones, uh, your agency, your organization, company, whatever it is. If we really invest in that why, then you're willing to put that effort forward. It, it's uncomfortable. Real quality training, solutions-based training is inherently a little uncomfortable. And uh, pushing past that discomfort in training enables us to be successful in the real thing. There's a very famous quote that states that uh, we never rise to the occasion. We fall to our lowest level of consistent training. So the term I was first introduced to was when I went to a special operations uh, medical course in uh, for Bragg, as part of becoming a special operations medic, uh, they were very big about using the term operational medicine. And it didn't make sense to me at the time because all anybody had ever talked about was tactical medicine. And I thought it was a semantics game until I progressed in my career and my journey. Once I accepted that that was uh, more of a lifestyle than a job and then carried it over after I retired, um, it's all kind of a compare and contrast game to a little bit. Uh, I'm a big believer that the word tactical especially in the parlance of uh, most YouTube videos and social media right now, it's not a coincidence that it sounds a lot like tactical. You put the word tactical in front of it and you can sell 25 more of them. Uh, you put it in multicam, there's 100 more of them. And next thing you know, everybody lost sight of what was it we were buying? Uh, so an example would be a operational medic will spend a lot more time ensuring that their training and their mental preparedness is right versus filming a video about it. Uh, an operational medic will make sure that his team's kits are good and then make sure of his own. Things as unsexy as medical records and insurance uh, type claims are made after an injury. The really unsexy stuff, you're looking for the long-term care of not only your teammates, but also your uh, teammates' families. Uh, when it comes to you know medical claims and stuff like that, you're looking bigger picture, the overall holistic view of the team. Carry that out to the first responder world or the general person out there driving their car into work today. Do you look at just what do I do if this happens? Or do you prefer to say, I am prepared for whatever happens because I have done X, Y, and Z? We don't want to necessarily replace people's programs. There's a lot of people out there with great stuff moving forward. If nothing else, we want to just improve their logistics for their existing programs or give them some guidance. We are not trying to 
close hold the LECC program. We have a trademark on it only because we want to make sure that if someone's using it, it meets a standard, but we want to empower every agency out there. I, I've always joked, I'll never run out of students to teach. And if I do, that's a great day. We want to make sure that if all they need is how to get their logistics done better, which is probably the most overlooked part of a program, uh, we help them with that. Uh, as for the metrics, that was the, probably one of the best things we did in Seattle. They had a UW study done and showing the tracking all of the uses of uh, medical aid rendered by Seattle PD officers over a, a several year period of time. The numbers that came back were staggering. I don't want to shoot any from the hip here and get it wrong, but it was better than we even possibly thought that these officers are extending the spectrum of care in a way that isn't to replace fire EMS. Actually, it's to augment and maintain viable patients for them to get there, especially in violence encounters where fire is not allowed to go until the warm zone is cooled off and they can gain access. Honestly, answering the question that bothers me the most is how do we change the narrative about law enforcement? These amazing public servants that are trying to do the right thing against all odds right now. Um, and part of that comes from why aren't we hearing stories about these amazing medical saves that happen every day around the country? And that's where the metrics come in a lot of ways is linking with local universities or people that do that, those metric studies for a living. Uh, the other part is if you're doing it with an agency, identifying real early that if an officer uh, uses, like say a tourniquet in a call, making sure that part of them getting that replacement tourniquet is filing in a case report number so that somebody is designated at the agency to track it. The other program you're asked about, the M1RA Motorcycle First Responder Awareness Class, being a rider myself and loving motorcycles, um, of course I was biased to that. So I put a lot of effort into leaning into my brothers and sisters on two wheels out there in the wind. And we built this program that's just kind of evolved of its own joy. Then one RA, uh, they're typically like little four hour classes where we sit down and just talk about essentially what happens after motorcycle safety course you need for your license. <laughs> you know, you get your one to two day course to go get your license. That talks about how to prevent and write, prevent an accident and ride safely. No one wants to talk about what happens when the wheels tip, when the, you know, the dirty side comes up and the shiny side goes down. And um, I'll be darned if it went as well or better than I hoped it would. Uh, we've gotten amazing feedback uh, from folks around the country. Uh, now we're just trying to figure out how to get it in a way that it goes beyond me. Cause I can't go much as I want to, I can't ride out and talk with every writer in the United States and teach this course. I want to build hubs around the country where motorcycle groups, uh, you know, whether it be a local riders group, a great one we have up here in Washington, the warrior angels, I get with them quite a bit. Uh, it's a female group out of Tacoma, just a great crew. Uh, there's a couple clubs out of Vegas area that have been interested. Uh, I've been working with the bikers lifestyle podcast. These folks are all, they get it, but how do I get individual groups willing to be the trainers out there? Cause you don't have to be a mech. In fact, you shouldn't be a medic because medics make it too complicated. We're trying to boil it down really simple for riders to train riders. What do you do when things go bad? And it's just been an exciting adventure. And the cool thing is, is everybody, call, you go, you can't throw a rock in certain forums without people saying, I got the next motorcycle kit. And what it usually is, is some 
almost expired 82nd Airborne reject military kit. Then someone painted it in burnt orange to look like a Harley kit. And then they charged 20 bucks more for it. Um, I don't want to sell riders individual kits if I can avoid it. What I'd prefer they do is go through the class, find out which tool works best for you. Do you like a NAR tourniquet or do you like a SAM tourniquet? Do you like this, this tool or that tool? Does your budget allow for four yards of combat gauze or four foot? How much saddlebag room do you have? <laughs> Where, what's right for you? And then they go build their kits and talk about having buy-in. If they personally build their kits, they're more likely to use it out there on the road. I kick off every class I do a promise to my students that I check that at the door and I'm all in for their training for the time we're together. And I ask, consider to do the same it goes beyond the classroom into everything we do in life. If we go no ego all in, uh, things tend to go a lot better. I believe strongly enough that I've actually got it inked into my arm. It's uh, what I live by. Uh, and every time I've ever veered away from it, life has gone crappy for me. So uh, I'd, challenge anybody to adopt it as the approach to their training, to their preparation, the desire to thrive versus strive. Anything you encounter, anything you're wanting to endeavor and make successful, make it no ego all in. Thanks for listening to this episode of In Service. We'd like to thank Blair Dell for sharing the story of BMK Ventures. This episode was hosted by Kevin Sofen and produced by me, Jed Stoneham. To learn more about how we serve first responders and warfighters, visit us at darley.com. Mm-hmm.